Good morning, everybody. Hey, let me say that again. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, um, we have been going through a series trying to help us with some things that will help us, um, help us be a faithful, healthy church, help us to be a fruitful church to the glory of God, and we'll be doing that again today. And specifically what I want us to look at today is what Jesus would teach us about being loving individuals and a loving community. And uh, we will see what Jesus has to say to us about that from John chapter 13. From John chapter 13. We've got a fairly lengthy section of scripture here to read. Um, Please follow along with me as I read. Now... Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then skipping down to verse 34, Jesus continues 
still teaching his disciples, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at your word, we pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted. We pray that our hearts would come to see him more clearly and to love him more dearly. We pray, God, that we would be transformed as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Would you change us, God? Would you make us, mold us more and more into his image? Would you help us to become the individuals in the church that you desire us to be? A church that puts you on display and glorifies you. A church that is a blessing to others and a light to the lost. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing that Jesus teaches us about love is that we are called to follow his example of love. Jesus calls us to follow his example of love. Verse 14, he said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If he's our Lord and we follow him, we're following his example, we're following his way way of life. Verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. We know from other passages in Scripture that this process of sanctification that takes place in our life is essentially a process of God making us more and more like Jesus. He's conforming us to the image of His Son. And and Jesus says, follow me. Follow my example. What specifically, if we look at this passage, if we were to say, okay, what is Jesus' example of love? How would we describe the way that He's loved? Let's take a look at verses 1 through 11 specifically. And what we're going to see is that we must be humble. We must serve and take initiative to serve. And we must love everyone, including our enemies. Now there's some cultural and historical background I should give you to help you make sense of this passage as we look at it a little bit more closely. So first of all, throughout the book of John, there have been references to Jesus' hour. Jesus' hour. And what that's specifically talking about is the time when Jesus would go to the cross. The time when Jesus would go to the cross. And there's been times previously in the book of John where it said specifically, it was not yet his hour. But now we see here at the beginning of, of chapter 13 that it is his hour. His hour has come and he knows that his hour has come. At meals like this in this culture, it was standard for people to recline around the table. To recline around the table. So rather than having chairs where you would sit at the table, the table is quite low. And basically what would happen is that you lie on your, you, you, you lie on your side, resting on your elbow, and then this, your other hand is free to eat. Okay, it's probably actually this way around. 
with your right hand, then free to get, get, gather food from the table and eat. So then if you can imagine this, imagine, imagine a table and the way people are lying down around the table, it's easiest to be side on to the table, but you can't be fully side on because you need to make enough space for the person next to you, right? So you, you're just kind of diagonally side on and, and then these, these bodies radiating out around the table. That's what we think of when we think of reclining around the table. Now, the reality with this then as well would be that if you've got dirty feet, your feet are very visible. Okay? Anybody walking around the table, there's basically, you know, what, what, is, what, is, what they're greeted with first as they approach the table is your feet coming out, one set of feet after another set of feet, all the way around the table. Everybody's footwear during this time was sandals, and your roads are mostly dirt roads. Okay. And, of course, there's no cars during this time. There's, there's uh, horses, there's donkeys, there's cattle. Uh, and all of these animals uh, have manure, right? And uh, uh, the streets in general are, are, are just dusty. So if you think about it, even if you've started your day with a fantastic bath and you're as clean as clean can be, you're wearing sandals, and as you walk, you're getting sweaty, and your feet get a little bit moist. And just in general, just general dust, even if you're avoiding all the piles of manure and, 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 and keeping to the best path possible, your feet are going to gather dust. Your feet are going to get very dirty. And because of this, the cultural expectation at a dinner like this was for a servant to meet you at the door. You would take off your sandals and the servant would wash your feet before you entered. An illustration maybe of a, of a similar cultural practice in terms of something that was just expected. You know, you just assume that your host is going to provide this for you. It might be, you know, perhaps within the African culture, if you're getting ready to, to eat a meal with pup, there's some provision made for you to wash your hands. Okay? Some provision made for you to wash your hands. Or if I think within, within Western culture, there's certainly certain meals where you just expect somebody to give you cutlery. You don't sit down to sit at a table, you don't sit down at a table to eat spaghetti and not feel strange if you notice there's no cutlery. Okay? Um, there's certain things that just culturally you expect with, with, um, with the meal. And this foot washing would have been one of them. Okay? It's not seen as an optional thing. It's not seen as something just sometimes practiced. It would have been seen as something that people would expect. Now normally it would be the lowest servant in a household who would be assigned the job of washing the guest's feet. But this, in this case, it's an unusual situation. You might remember that Jesus sent out one of his disciples and he, and he had these instructions for, them, for him and he said, look, basically, you will find this room for us. Okay, Somebody's going to provide this room for us. And so this is a situation in which somebody has made a room available, but the actual owners are not there. There is no host. It's just an empty room that Jesus and his disciples have access to. And because of that, there's no servants. 
There's nobody to meet them at the door. And as the disciples come in, they would certainly have recognized, okay, there's nobody here to wash my feet. But what happens is that each one of them just enters. Nobody stops and thinks, well, if there isn't a servant here to wash the feet, maybe I should volunteer. Maybe I should be the one to provide this service. It doesn't even cross their minds. They certainly could not be the lowest servants who would be tasked with this. All the disciples enter the room, take their place around the table, and culturally they surely would have noticed that something was missing. That that their feet needed to be washed and had not been washed. That it could not, surely, could not have been their job. So then we get this situation where everyone is reclining around the table, feet unwashed. It's the elephant in the room, so to speak, but nobody is doing anything about it until Jesus gets up. He begins to work his way around the table, washing everyone's feet. Our first point this morning, if we're looking at the example, as we're considering Jesus' example of how to love, is that you must be humble. You must be humble. The disciples were unwilling to sacrifice position or even the appearance of position, but Jesus was not. And let's, let's think about this a little deep, deeper. John 13.3 says this, and it says it where it says it for good literary reason. It's driving home a point. It says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and and was going back to God, rose from supper. So, before John tells you that Jesus washed everyone's feet, He says, remember, remember who this is, and remember that he knew exactly who he was. He knew that he was God, very God. He knew that he had all the authority in the universe. He knew it wasn't his job, he wasn't the lowest servant. It didn't stop him. Jesus was the leader of this group in earthly terms. Even if you're not realizing that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, he was a rabbi and these were his disciples who'd given up everything to follow him for, for, for three years. And we know actually that Jesus would have been wearing a special sort of robe that would have identified him as a rabbi and a teacher. Typically, people in those days would have worn two robes, an inner robe and then an outer robe that would have been at least a little bit more elaborate. A more common, more affordable outer garment would have been one that would have been sewed together kind of along seams. But we know that this garment that Jesus was wearing 
was a seamless garment because later at his crucifixion, we see that the soldiers are casting lots about who's going to get it because they, 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 they don't want to separate it between them because it's seamless. Okay? If it was just an ordinary garment, then they can separate it along the seams and, what? Well, okay, you take that, I'll take this. No big deal. But this is a nice, expensive garment, so they are casting lots for it. And it seems probably what would have happened, we see at a couple places that Jesus had some uh, a, f- a few followers, a few fans that were a little bit wealthier. It's very possible that he was given this special robe that identified him as a rabbi, uh, as a gift from one of his followers. But Jesus rises from the table and he takes off this robe that identifies him as the rabbi. He takes off this robe that identifies him as the special one in the room. And servants in those days, they would typically just wear one garment. They would wear what other people are wearing as an undergarment. Okay? And just that. So now, once Jesus has taken off this, this, this outer garment, this, this special outer garment, he's now essentially wearing the single undergarment that servants would wear. Okay? And then he wraps a towel around his waist, which is identifying him now with this particular task of washing the feet, which was the job that the lowest servants would do. And then he goes person to person, washing their feet. Jewish culture was very stratified, very hierarchical. There were many, many, many rules of propriety, of of what was and wasn't proper, of what was and uh, what should and shouldn't be done. But none of this stopped Jesus from loving people in the way they needed to be loved in the moment. Think of these examples with me. Examples of how Jesus showed humility and cared for the dirty, the lowly, the culturally unimportant, right? Remember when the children came to Jesus and his disciples are trying to stop them? And essentially the disciples are saying, this is an important man. Don't waste his time. Keep the children away. Jesus says, no, let them come to me. And he doesn't just interact with them in some sort of uh, passing way. He picks them up, takes them up into his arms. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well who was so surprised that a Jewish man would interact with her. Think about the unclean lady who had a bleeding issue for years. Okay? She would have been considered unclean in a way where to be near her, or certainly to touch her, would have made you ritually unclean and, and would have brought about all sorts of com- ritual complications for you, right? So she, that's why she's sneaking around in the crowd and doesn't want to be identified, doesn't want to, to draw attention to herself. And Jesus says to her, Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. He interacts with her very personally. He, he, he identifies the fact that she has touched him. There's no outrage. There's no, uh, there's no negative response whatsoever to the fact that this unclean person has touched him. 
just tenderness and care. Think of the woman who laid down her hair and washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Remember in context that there were Pharisees there who were whispering amongst themselves saying, if this man knew who this woman was, he would not be letting her do that. Right? And then in culture, culturally again in general, for a woman to let down her hair in public was inappropriate. And here she is washing Jesus' feet and Jesus just recognizes the moment, the moment which is somebody who has been forgiven much is just so moved by His mercy that she just wants to pour out her love and He just, just lovingly uh, doesn't care of the awkwardness and the judgment and whatever and He just lets her express her love and thanks. Jesus ate with tax collectors and was judged for that. Jesus ate with sinners and was judged for that. Because of the people he spent time with, people were accusing him. Okay, is he a drunkard? Is he a glutton? Jesus didn't care. He loved the people who needed him. Position was not what mattered to him. He wasn't concerned about who he was seen with, what people said or thought about him. He just did whatever he needed to do in order to show love. Nothing was below him. Brothers and sisters, we will never love as Jesus loved unless we get over ourselves. It makes sense for us to be humble. We should be humble. Because we might think highly of ourselves, but the reality is that we're all sinners, we're all weak, we're all limited. But even though none of that applies to Jesus, He gladly embraces humility. He gladly lets go of His rights and privileges in order to serve others. So let me ask you, are there acts of service that you view as below you? Are there places you would not want to be seen? People with whom you would not want to associate? Are there things you view as too humiliating or degrading for you to do? Follow Jesus' Jesus's example of love. We must be humble. Next, to follow Jesus' example of love, we must serve. According to cultural norms, everyone at this supper needed to have their feet washed. There was a need, and Jesus met it. He didn't simply love in the sense of feelings and affections. I think the emotional side of love is important. The Bible calls us to that, certainly. But the Bible doesn't only call us to that. The Bible calls us to a love that acts, a love that serves Jesus paid attention, noticed the needs, took initiative, and served. And there's a few things worth noting here. Okay? It is not just the life-changing things that matter. Okay? I, I, I love the attention, the, the way that, that this foot washing is highlighted in Scripture. Because think about this. Okay? 
basically, and I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here, but, but basically the two major acts of love in Jesus' life that are highlighted are the foot washing and his crucifixion on the cross. Okay? Now, his death on the cross is history-changing. Right? There's no salvation apart from his death on the cross. It's life-transforming. And then you've got this other example where it's like, yeah, everyone's feet was dirty, it were dirty, it was culturally awkward, and Jesus washed their feet. At a wedding I once attended, I remember the pastor saying that he was confident that the husband would throw himself in front of a bus to save his wife. Then he asked the question, he said, but are you going to faithfully, daily, take out the rubbish? Right? A true life of love and service notices the little things, not just the big things. And there's a consistency in it. The foot washing needed to happen in one sense. Culturally, it's this, it's this big, as I mentioned earlier, elephant in the room that it's not being addressed. But in another sense, it's not at all earth-shattering. In one sense, it didn't have to happen at all. But Jesus did it. He served in this way and calls us to serve in this way too. Another thing we can notice about this is that a true servant thinks beyond roles. True servant thinks beyond roles. Now, I think roles are definitely, undoubtedly, something very important. When you think about roles on a team or roles in the family. Okay? Um, so what I mean is, well, if we think about Jesus... His priority was that he had come to preach. And we actually do see some places where Jesus leaves a town, even though there's still people looking for miracles. Jesus says, look, I need to move on. I've come to preach and I need to keep moving. I need to keep taking this message to other, to other places. We do see Jesus prioritizing according to what he knew was his primary role. But we're not thinking biblically about roles if when we have an opportunity to meet a need, we don't meet that need because we just say to ourselves, ah, it's not my job. It's not my job. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. And we certainly see that here with Jesus. He certainly, as the leader, was not the lowest servant to wash their feet, but he saw the need and he met it. I um, remember often a particularly convicting uh, interaction I had with my stepmother a few years back when I was still living with my dad and stepmother. And... um, Basically, what had happened was that we arrived home, and I got out of the car, and I and I and I took the few things that that I had um, uh, with me, and I took them up to my room. And I remember my stepmother then being like asking me afterwards, "Well, why didn't you help me get everything else out of the car?" 
And I said, well, no, I, I, I took my things in, you know. And she, um, and now the full context here is that I wasn't, I wasn't actually aware of everything that needed to be brought in, in the car. But she asked me this question, she said, well, why, why didn't you think to check with me if I needed help getting things out of the car? And I realized, because I'd, I'd been staunchly defending myself, I had fulfilled my responsibilities, I had not left anything behind in the car, and then my next line of defense was to claim ignorance. Right? But she was so right in saying, but look, if you were more loving, if you thought more of others and not just of yourself, you could have asked, is there something I can help you with? Is there something I can help you with? And this is the way we need to serve. We need to not just think about our job, our responsibility. We need to not just think about the big earth-shattering things. We need to not just wait until we are asked. We need to be people who are constantly on the lookout for needs and eager to meet them. Big or small. Thirdly, to follow Jesus' example of love, you must love everyone, including those who do not deserve it. Or you can even go so far as saying, including your enemies. Including your enemies. By the time we get here to John 13, Jesus' disciples have been squabbling over who is the greatest amongst them. They've shown a, a pitiful lack of faith again and again. Despite Jesus' many miracles and hours and hours of him teaching them, years they've been with him. In a few short hours, they will flee when he is arrested. They will run for their lives. Peter will deny him three times. These are not men who are worthy of the service Jesus is showing them, the special treatment Jesus is showing them. But of course, right, there's one in particular who it is absolutely amazing to think of Jesus loving in this way. Judas. Judas. Judas is there at this, at this uh, meal. He's about to betray Jesus and Jesus knows he is. Um... In verse 11, chapter 13, verse 11, John 13, 11. He knew who was to betray him. After Judas traveling with him as one of his 12 disciples for close to three years, all the miracles he saw, all the teaching he heard, all he came to know of Jesus' integrity and love and humility He still betrayed him. He still betrayed him. This this isn't a small betrayal. It's not a light betrayal. It's it's, as bitter as it comes. But Jesus stooped and washed Judas' feet anyway. Surely though you'd think, right? Jesus must have treated Judas slightly differently. 
He must have. There must have been something that the other disciples could have picked up on. Right? Just a little bit of irritability towards Judas, or a little bit of distance at least. A little bit of just treating him as not quite one of the disciples. But no, let's look at verses 21b and 22. Basically, when Jesus says here that one of them will betray him, they all look at each other clueless about who he might be talking about. And of course, this on the one hand means that Judas is very deceptive. He's a very good actor and he's been very secretive about his scheming and his communication uh, with the authorities that are going to arrest Jesus. Jesus, But it also means that Jesus has treated Judas with the same love that he's treated the other disciples consistently. He, he served Jesus, Judas here in the foot washing like he served the other disciples because... Jesus had consistently loved Judas. He loved and served him as he did the rest. This is perhaps the most striking example of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he tells us that we need to love our enemies. We need to love our enemies. He says, even, even the unbelievers, even the Gentiles love those who treat them well. We must love even our enemies. So brothers and sisters, are there people that you will not love because you feel that their sin against you has been too great? They've hurt you too much. Are there people you find just that little bit too irritating, just too much of a burden? To love as Jesus loved, we must love everyone, even our enemies. Okay, so what's the example of Jesus' love? We need to follow, we need to be humble, we must serve and take initiative to serve, we must love everyone, including our enemies. What else does Jesus teach us about love? Jumping down to verses 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' love for you should be your motivation and your standard for a life of love. His love for you should be your motivation and your standard for a life of love. This is a step beyond just being able to observe and observe well how Jesus has loved others. It's far more personal. And this is how Jesus calls us to measure our life of love. This is how he calls us to be motivated to love. To consider how he has loved us. You might think, okay, well, hang on. I wasn't I wasn't there, I wasn't I wasn't at the Last Supper, he didn't wash my feet. 
But let's think about this more. In his commentary on the book of John, William Hendrickson refers to Jesus' entire life, his entire incarnation, his entire time on this earth as his humiliation. Okay, as his humiliation. It was a time his entire life was about Jesus humbling himself in order to serve us. There's a reason Jesus couldn't go directly to the cross. He had to fulfill all righteousness. He had to be a perfectly holy man who had honored God in every way in order for his sacrifice on the cross to not just pay the penalty of our sins, but also be able to gift us with full and complete, perfect righteousness. Jesus' entire life, every moment, the entire reason he came to earth in the first place, all 33 years, was him humbling himself in order to love us and serve us and meet our greatest need. Jesus says of himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. He didn't hold on to his rights as God. He let them go and humbly became a man, even to the point of the most painful, scorned and lowly of deaths. So now let's look at John look at John 13 verses 6 to 8. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, "Lord, do you wash my feet?" Jesus answered him, "What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand." Peter said to him, "You shall never wash my feet." Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is essentially saying to Peter here, Peter, you're going to have to accept the idea of me humbling myself in order to serve you. You're going to have to receive that. That's what the cross is. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe dying for us. If you don't embrace that, Peter, you have no part with me. I need to serve you. You need me to serve you. Now we can, we're often quick to, to, to have a little chuckle at Peter because, you know, you've, you've, I'm sure you've heard phrases like he's the, the apostle with the, the foot-shaped mouth, right? You know, he's the guy who's always saying the wrong thing and just sticking his neck out a little bit too far. But I, I want to actually argue that in this situation here, as much as there's things he's not understanding, there's a gut reaction from Peter here that is exactly what it should be. Jesus, his rabbi and Lord, who he has recognized and declared to be the Messiah, is dressed as a slave and kneeling at his feet and washing his feet. Of course he pulls back his feet and says, what do 
Lord, how are you washing my feet? This is upside down. This is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. The Lord of Lords became a baby needing to be breastfed and changed. He grew up as a child submissive to earthly parents. He endured 40 days of fasting and temptation in the desert. He had no place to call home or to lay his head. He lived a life of foot washing and of service. This was just one example. He suffered ridicule and heckling by the religious elite. He was disbelieved and rejected by those in his hometown. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He would soon be dressed in mock robes and a crown of thorns and ridiculed. He would be lashed and beaten. He'd be stripped near naked and hung on a cross, put up on a maid, alongside a major road so that he could be mocked by all the passers-by so he could die the most painful and humiliating of deaths known to the Roman Empire. So brothers and sisters, now, now do you, do you see what I'm saying when it says, when I say, Jesus washed your feet. Jesus humbly served you. Jesus humbly served you. And surely then we understand also Peter's gut reaction. We say, why, why, why? Why, Lord, why would you do this for me? You washing my feet? You are stooping to serve me? You are humbling yourself? To meet my needs? So then in light of that, brothers and sisters, we should realize here, as we're thinking about our motivation and our standard that we're aiming for when we're thinking about a life of love. Is anyone ever too lowly for us to love them? If we're to love like we've been loved? Can anyone have ever wronged us too much? Can any need that needs to be met be, be too much for, for someone to ask of us? Is it possible for us to love too much? Lastly, number three, we learn from Jesus that when Christians love each other like Jesus has loved us, we put the truth and transforming power of the gospel on display. Right? That's what verse 35 tells us. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Part of this is that we show that we're family in Christ. We show that we have bonds that, uh, that surpass any earthly differences. But it's also you can see that this is an individual who has been loved and who's been transformed by how they've been loved, who's compelled by how they've been loved. 
This is a community where everyone has the same testimony. My Lord, my God, humbled Himself to love and serve me. And it transformed me. It, 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 I found it to be beautiful. And now I live a life seeking the love as He has loved me. Let's pray. Dear God, some stories can become so familiar that they don't hit us like they should, and I pray that that would not happen. What should not happen to us with stories about you. Help us to be shocked and amazed again and again by how you, the Holy One, you, the only self-existing One, you, the Creator of all, you, the King of Kings, you, the Lord of Lords, you, the only Holy, Holy, Holy God, that you would love us. Father, that you would send your Son for us. That's serving us. That's meeting our greatest need, even though we, we were your enemies. That's exactly what Scripture tells us. And Jesus, you willing to, as Philippians put it, not hold on, right? Not hold on to the things that were your rights. To not grasp onto them and cling to them. Comfort and praise. That you came and you served us. And God, we pray that we would worship you. Worship you as you deserve. We pray, God, that we would be rightly compelled to live lives of love ourselves. God, help us not to just simply think in terms of ticking boxes and and just doing our job, but help us to be eager to live the most loving lives we possibly can live because we know that truly, rightly understood, the way you have loved us is beyond our comprehension. God, help us the desire to be this staggeringly beautiful community of love where, where everybody is just eager, eager, eager to love and serve others. God, and as we do that, help us to, 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 to joyfully be able to point to why we're motivated that way. Why we see that as a goal in life. Because of you. And because of how beautiful, how compelling your love is. Thank you that it's possible for us to grow into the image of Christ. Thank you that he's already met the full requirements, God, that you have. And that because of that, you already look upon us as having lived a perfect life of love. Thank you that we are already 100% approved in your eyes because of what Jesus has done. Thank you that the Spirit has entered the hearts of every believer here and has begun to change us. 
And we pray with his help that we would grow more and more into the image of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.